Hey there, it's Nick Turzo, and this is The Radical Podcast. No, we won't be overthrowing any governments, but we will be learning from radical creatives who rule the world. Welcome back to The Radical. I am Nick Turzo. Not only do I consider this week's guest a friend, but he is by far one of the most talented music curators of the past couple decades. Jason Bentley has created soundscapes that are etched in all of our minds from his show KCRW's Morning Becomes Eclectic to his work on the Matrix film soundtracks and my favorite show, Metropolis, which can be heard weekly on KCRW and also streams online. Jason has not only identified the greatest talent in the field of electronic music, but has been integral in establishing it as a music genre. Additionally, Jason is a talented DJ himself, having performed at some of the largest festivals in the world, including Coachella. In this episode, we explore his continued growth from curator to an actual creator. Up next, my conversation with Jason Bentley. Hey, Jason. Nick Terzo. Welcome, welcome. How are you, my friend? I am well. I'm looking forward to us getting caught up. Um, and I think more importantly, since you're actually a professional at this and I'm just been doing it for three months, <laughs> I'm going to learn from you during this very podcast. It's very exciting for me. <laughs> Whatever I can impart, uh, especially to you, it's it's been too long. We uh, we were kind of around each other maybe 15 years ago at a record label. Yeah, it was actually, I hate to tell you, it was 25. 25, okay. All right. Yes, and we were office neighbors, weren't we? Yep. <laughs> yep. The infamous the, Maverick. Yeah, the heady days of the record business when uh, it was flush with cash and a uh, very different time. We were slinging CDs at that time. Indeed. It's a great profit. Um, what, uh, how long did you do like kind of the AN, the NR job type of stuff, like with Maverick or with anyone else beyond that? Um, really after Maverick, I just went into more music supervision and, you know, radio was a constant throughout that time and continued. Um, so I just did more, you know, consulting for advertising, film, TV shows um, as an independent music supervisor. So that was right around 2000. Right. And did you enjoy like that period of doing A&R, which my sister, by the way, has told me I mentioned that too often on here. And for people that don't know what that is, I've been scolded. So <laughs> A&R is basically called artists and repertoire. It's what at record labels, they are the people involved with signing artists and actually making the records with them and getting the material right before you record. So that's yeah. what that job entails. You know, I, I, I felt like there I was kind of a, a trophy on the mantelpiece um, and it was hard to get a lot done in that environment uh, without singling anyone out. It, it was sort of a toxic place. At least I was very unhappy at that time. Um, you know, it, it enabled me to to buy a, a home <laughs> and put some money in the bank. But, it, you know, there's this whole side of A&R where, you know, you hear this this thing like uh, the A&R weasels, you know, and 
it, it speaks to the exploitative side of the record business. And there's a lot of truth to that, but that's not what I signed up for. And <laughs> what I signed up for was, you know, trying to use my, my love and passion for music and insight to create amazing, timeless projects, you know, and then put creative people together and see what happened. And it was just ultimately, it was a lot harder to do that in a political atmosphere, uh, which unfortunately just, it was so much of, it was too much of that. Is why I kind of left, right? There was just too much of being in the middle of a tug of war at that time, unfortunately. And, you know, that kind of made me depart. So I understand that completely. Um, while you were there, though, I mean, you started doing kind of, was that the first time you'd done the music supervision? Because you did the Matrix, right? The soundtrack? Yeah, the Ma Matrix is easily the biggest takeaway from my Maverick days. Um, but, you know, I was involved in several projects. Uh, but it was being at the right place at the right time. Um, I was the guy to go over and meet the Wachowskis uh, initially and check out the film, uh, you know, a kind of a rough cut. Um, all they knew at that point was they wanted um, Rage Against the Machine at the end um, and also The Prodigy, which is why they even picked up the phone to, to Maverick as we had signed The Prodigy. And so I went out and uh, met him and hit it off. And that turned into a, a three-year project that covered three separate feature films, uh, an anime uh, re release called Animatrix, consulting on uh, video game for it, uh, you know, so it was, um, it was quite a chunk of, of my life and very rewarding, a huge education. And that, that really sort of set me in motion with music supervision, which is really the career path I took coming out of Maverick. Look, both of you guys, you know, look, they are so beyond, <laughs> just beyond the world in their creativity. So having you with your knowledge of music and your curation and I mean, you're kind of top of the game too. So together, I mean, it's kind of a match made in heaven from my point of view. We did some good things. You know, uh, sadly, I haven't gotten the call on Matrix 4. So I uh -oh. am, uh, I'm bummed about that. But it's, it's been a long time and I'm sure they have other resources and relationships that have formed over those years. So it, it, it's fine. <laughs> Well, and you've been such kind of like, you've been a, definitely a leader, like in the electronic music thing. And I always remember being at Maverick and you being nice enough to be my uh, kind of, uh, what would it be, horse whisperer or whatever. You actually took me to the Miami, uh, the Winter Dance Music Conference. Uh, um, yeah. We did that that year. And I think it was, it was Daft Punk. I don't know who else you kind of hooked me in with. There was a bunch of people that year. It was amazing. Yeah, that that whole scene has, that was my youth culture movement. You know, that was my British invasion, my punk rock. That, that was, I took ownership of that scene and, and really um, became a leader and an advocate uh, working at various levels, whether it was the Recording Academy or uh, out at festivals and just trying to advance the understanding and the, the agenda. When I think back to DJing the first two Coachellas 20 years ago, there was such a limited appreciation right across the board from the promoters to the roadies, you know, people setting up the stage, a limited appreciation of the, the potential of dance and electronic music. And then, you know, we, we've come to see over the years, the evolution of that, where it's become the dominant genre and the most over the top staging uh, yes. at the festival, hands down. 
So it, it's, it's, it's a funny uh, arc of, of experience, but I've just been there uh, from the start and, and it's been a pleasure. I think one of the most attractive things for me is that the, the, the nature of that scene is about what's next, what's next, what new sound, what new synthesis. It's a future-minded uh, community. And I think that's something that, that I really love because I'm always interested in what's next. You know, what, what's the next stimulus and um, how can people put it together? And technology, the promise of technology in music. So it's all represented in that genre. And that's one of the big reasons why I've, I've been such a champion. Right. And have you, um, look, you have a lot of sides to you, you know, the music supervision you've done, um, the label stuff. Um, you've done, have you done some producing or some like remixing at all? Yeah, yeah I've, done, I've done remixing, produce, producing. And, and actually, this, this is one of the most exciting things to come out of the pandemic months is I've, you know, finally in my life uh, just sat down and said, you know, I'm going to teach myself Ableton Live and I'm going to figure this out and I'll probably suck at the start, but I'm just going to keep chipping away. And I've, I've done some really good work and, and it's taken a lot of time and focus, but I, I kind of needed the, uh, the quarantine to get me there. Um, I also, you know, I, I was always the kind of, producer, quote unquote, where I would be maybe more of an executive producer. I'd help to put an opportunity together and then I'd kind of be on the couch in the back of the studio. I really wouldn't be on the front lines of, of creating things or recording things. And this, this experience in recent months put me on the front lines and that was just so refreshing. But the other part of it is that, um, probably to a fault, I've always been a control freak and I've needed to be involved in every aspect unless it's, if I can't, I'm just not that interested. And um, I feel like I needed to take the reins of production and writing. I just needed to do it on my own. And there's lots of people, friends with the best intentions who would say, hey, come on over, let's like just work on some stuff. And I didn't want to do it that way. I wanted to force myself to do it knowing who I am, the way that I am. I needed to do it on my own and have my ownership and fingerprints. No one else, no one else. And maybe only just like a mastering process. I'll send it out for mastering. That's automated nowadays too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I think the, the last uh, several months in, in, that, in that regard with, with writing original music and producing, has been a, a total revelation. Good for you. Growth is good, man. Growth is good. So I want to cover, you know, obviously you have a reputation as having, you know, discovered and kind of exposed a lot of new music through your years at KCRW. Um, but I'm, we're going to get to that because I think, I mean, some of the shows you've done to me are just, I have people haven't heard them in this country are just so stellar and I don't know what to say. They're just brilliant the way they're put together and the way they sound. Um, but what's it like for you? Like you're an artist too, that has to go out and play live in front of large audiences. I mean, do you have a preference? Does it appeal to each side of you as you do those things? They're, they're just different, uh, different exercises, whether it's a studio production, like a, a radio show is a very controlled environment and you don't have that instant feedback of an audience versus playing at a, Coachella or EDC or something like that. 
Um, it's also a different style of performance. You're playing a different range of music. You know, there are records that are made for the live club environment, just their, the sonic range. It, it, it's different from radio. And so having a, a mastery of those, those different environments, um, you know, as a, as a radio DJ, you're also more of a uh, storyteller um, in terms of a narrative and lyrics and what you're putting together. And you don't really approach it the same way in a nightclub or festival environment. There's still an, an, an arc that you're taking people on this sort of journey, um, but it's more abstract and it's more um, feeling instead of thinking. Um, the great thing about radio, and especially with an audience like the KCRW audience as a, as a public radio audience and NPR audience, they're a smart bunch and um, they pay attention. And some of the details, like being able to come out of uh, press conferences, uh, some of the heavy news of the day, and just play a song that says everything you need to say. Uh, and I wouldn't have to say a word. It's just that song that I picked. And when you, can, when you can do that, when you can nail it, and you bring everyone into the moment at the same time, that's, that's powerful stuff. And um, I think, you know, practicing that discipline on a regular basis uh, was, was really the dream job. You know, that, that was the, the joy of a lifetime. Um, but in retrospect, I, I did it, and I did it, and I did it to death. I mean, if we, if we look back at actual hours, you know, miles um, of on-air radio experience. I mean, it is prolific. And so um, I came to a point where I just felt like I did everything that I, I could do. And in the fall of last year, I uh, hung up the headphones at KCRW, which was, you know, either really bold or, or just completely idiotic. Um, it is a great place to be you're constantly getting to meet and hang out with some of your favorite musicians and your whole job is to just turn people on to new music. It's so exciting and fun. But again, I just felt like I hit the ceiling and there wasn't anywhere else to go. Um, at the same time, the radio station was at a huge crossroads because we were evolving out of a, um, a, a wonderful basement studio which is never meant to be a radio station. It was at Santa Monica College underneath the cafeteria and the student bookstore. And uh, it was built out over the years as a radio station. Well, maybe 10 years ago, we got uh, funding from the city of Santa Monica to build a new facility, uh, purpose built. And that was a long process, you know, almost uh, eight years before we were actually in there. And that came to fruition over the last year. And to me, that was very much kind of writing on the wall to say, it's time for someone else. It's time for a new energy and a new point of view for the sake of this organization. It, it was just too much of a shift for everybody in this new building. And um, so it felt like we got there and it's just like, all right, peace out. You know, um, you guys got it from here. I feel like we, we did it. And uh, you've got this dream, you know, state-of-the-art facility. Now go and continue to be awesome. And so that was part of the equation as well. Well, that's interesting because you took, uh, you're just a basement dweller, I guess. So you build this state-of-the-art thing after dwelling underground for so many years and uh, you're out. I think, 
you know, something about the basement, it was a daily reminder going into this sort of dingy underground studio um, that, that had to be built as a studio. It was never created as such. And it was just a reminder every day of this kind of DIY ethos of why you're doing what you're doing and the mission. Um, and it just made sense to me. It gave me purpose. And I think, you know, having the, the dream facility with state-of-the-art gear, it sort of changed the equation for me where all of a sudden it felt very clinical and isolated. And it just wasn't this funky, dirty studio thing that, that we had lived in for 30 years. And so I think for me, there was, there was a need to, um, to just call it at that point, you know? I think we had the golden age in the basement and for me, it'll always be that way. And for people listening, if you haven't lived in LA, um, KCRW is based in Santa Monica at Santa Monica Community College. Um, and it's been a remarkably punching above its weight um, for the size of, you would think, a college radio station or something such that, or public broadcasting. Um, were you guys streaming, though, where people would have had that available to them in the later part of it or not so much? Yeah, we were. I think we were leaders in, in making stuff available online. In fact, a lot of it caught up to us where um, in the last you know, five years or so is when um, the publishers and the labels would be much more restrictive. Initially, we would just have everything online and we would justify it as... Um, being part of our, our responsibility as a public service was to archive all of these performances. And so the, the archives run deep. Um, it's not that anyone ever really dug in there, but they were, they're there. And um, it became harder and harder in recent years when, you know, with the emergence of, of digital as dominant in the media landscape, uh, all of a sudden there were more and more restrictions to what we could uh, offer online, what we could archive. Um, and people listening should know that Jason hosted um, a show called Morning Becomes Eclectic, which was their morning kind of late drive, right? <laughs> drive time, um, yeah, where you exposed a lot of new music. <laughs> yeah. An LA drive time. <laughs> a lot of people tell me that uh, they would hear me come on, they'd know they were late for work. So. <laughs> and then my favorite show you did, which you, it was your, you developed it, right? And created it was Metropolis, right? Yeah, and I still do a, a, an iteration of Metropolis, which is now Saturday nights on KCRW from 8 to 10 p.m. So, uh, you know, that's my first, my first love. That's a show I started on KCRW in the summer of 92 and have been doing ever since. And, and that, for me, is the, the platform for progressive dance and electronic music. And people shouldn't be scared of that in any way because I'll tell you, that living in L.A. and driving home on a Saturday night, maybe after seeing a band or something. Um, dude, the soundscape of that show was so beautiful. And so it didn't rattle your brain. Like I think people may envision it wasn't a big booming. It was so calming to me on a Saturday night to listen to that in a car in Los Angeles. It was brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'm proud of the artistry that's involved in that. Um, you know, that the mix is really important to me. And I hope people, I hope people do appreciate what goes into that. Um, it's a performance of progressive 
sounds, electronic sounds. Um, I'm not really trying to play pop leaning music or songs. It's more about creating a headspace for people to indulge. Um, and you know, I get, I get all of this music submitted to me and what I'm looking for are the various tools that I can use to create that world. And, um, I've become very good at it and just performing it. You know, um, I can hear things and process them and put it into its place, uh, in, in the arrangement of the show, um, pretty quickly now, um, just because I've just done it and done it and done it. Um, so it's, it's in a, it's in a good place and, um, I love it and, and hope to just keep doing it as long as I can. Um, now we've, we've recently announced a new schedule where I'm, I'm the lead in to the infamous Henry Rollins who follows me 10 to 12 midnight on Saturday nights now. So I'm, I'm, I've been joking that I'd always, always thought I'd find myself a, a cheap warm up act for Henry Rollins. And <laughs> it's a reality. You did it. You did it. So is that outlined for you, the show though, when you talk about being able to kind of almost do it on the fly and put these things in, are you to have some kind of an outline as you go into it and build the show that week? Yeah, I get, you know, I get a ton of stuff. Um, as you can imagine over the years, the, the various labels and, and promoters just send me things. And so I will set aside time during the week to um, audition things and, and I'll just make notes in my mind and arrange it in, in a folder. So if anything, it's creating a, a palette and then um, challenging myself in real time to make those connections. Right. And with this fire hose of distribution that we have nowadays, as opposed to when we started this and you had to kind of get to us somehow and get your music in front of us. Um, how has that changed your own discovery process? Like when you're getting hit, you know, with a fire hose of new music, I, you know, I still have, um, trusted resources. Um, and you look for those leading indicators, whether it's the label, um, the publishing company, the manager, the artist directly. Um, and then I, I kind of ruthlessly delete things too, you know, <laughs> um, it's funny because as I've started to write my own music and be on the other side of the equation where I'm putting something forward to colleagues and friends and saying, Hey, I just, I wrote this, you know, maybe take a, take a listen. And I just have to remember the way that I am when I get those appeals, I can be so dismissive and just like, ah, nah, nah, that's not it. Um, and I can't, you know, take it personal if I don't hear back from somebody. Um, because that's the way I am. I'm just brutal. Um, you know, if the, if the artists were in the room as I auditioned things, they would just sit there and go, what, wait, what you, it took you 10 seconds and then you, you tossed it. And it's just the way it is. And are you most proud as you kind of go into this next chapter, so to speak of uh, your ability lyrically, your ability kind of is finding the beats or the under kind of the groove underneath? What, what, what are you most proud of what you've excelled at since you started doing it for yourself? Um, I think it's the controlling the ebb and flow. Um, I feel like a lot of DJs are, are just in one gear. Um, and I feel like I can really um, take people on a, on a range of, of, of emotions and from starting point you know, point A to, to, to Z. Um, so I, 
I like that. And, um, and just the mixing, because I think when you're talking about the mix space, when you're playing elements from two tracks or more at the same time, you're spontaneously creating something completely original that hasn't been recorded, that ha- doesn't exist. And um, there's something I love about that. And, and also really um, how radio is, you know, so it just disappears into the ether. You know, I, I, I kind of like the idea that it, it's not on demand and not available all the time at a fingertip. You know, it's, it's, you know, radio, there's something beautiful about it's just, it just is disposable. It just goes out into the air and then that's it. Beautiful. Still works after all these years, still works. Um, do you, um, find, I mean, is sampling still an issue for that type of music? Or are you like able to kind of really create something from nothing? You know, as I hear a lot of these artists, it just feels like they're pulling from other people's work to some degree. Like what's the balance of that? I think it depends on how high the stakes are. You know, if, if there's money, then attorneys are going to call, come call it. If there's, if there's no economy for it, no one's going to waste their time. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the issues still apply, but like you say, the the sort of the the fire hose idea is there's so much media being cut and repurposed and sampled and turned upside down and reworked. You can't possibly get your head around it. Um, I had an interesting experience over the pandemic months where we found out pretty abruptly that we couldn't return to the KCRW studios it was, you know, COVID was breaking and everyone was panicking. And I just found out on a Thursday before the Saturday show that we, we were going to switch to a, um, a music stream that we have called Eclectic 24. It was going to take over the broadcast side as while well, we figured everything out. So um, with that information, I just pivoted to Instagram Live. Um, I really didn't, I'd never used it before. I didn't know what to expect, but I I thought to myself, I need to reach my audience with the music. Personally, I just need to express myself. So I'm going to just try it. And so it ended up being this six and a half month experiment in live streaming a radio show. And because that's how long it took to return to the KCRW studios, they're still not uh, in full, you know, um, order over there. It's still in a skeletal staff. But um, the things that came out of that experience, um, the digital community that formed organically to, to be there and watch me DJ on Instagram, you know, the things that I would do to make that more interesting, like I bought a smoke machine and I have a neon light and had lasers and, you know, without it being like, ridiculous and stupid but the most important thing for me was still the performance of the mix but i really loved seeing this this live stream chat room community that formed out of nowhere people coming in from all over the world saying you know i'm listening from england and i'm listening from melbourne australia it was so cool but the reason i thought of this is um on the music side in terms of broadcasting unlicensed music to the internet. Um, You know, there are copyright issues there. And it's a good example of how the regulations haven't completely caught up 
the, the technology. Um, now, what would happen periodically is if I played a very familiar record, maybe a major label record, most of my stuff is not major label, so it's not an issue, but maybe once in a while I'd play something and it would get flagged by you know, bots uh, that patrol the internet. And I would just get cut, I'd get bounced from the, the live stream. And what I'd have to do is, is restart. And the amazing thing is the audience would come right back online. They would file right back up. And um, I kind of over, over the weeks took um, ownership of the, the whole challenge in the sense of like saying, we're pirate radio, nothing can stop the music. The bots are gonna try and shut us down and we'll come right back on the other side. So I kind of took ownership of it and it became a fun, we're just making the best of the situation, but I would periodically get pulled off of, off of the live stream. But that's a good example of, of how, you know, what's happening in this wild west media landscape, whether it's sampling, like you mentioned, or just playing a radio station on Instagram, it, it, it's really a moving target and no one's figured out how to control it. And you can't put the genie back in the bottle at this point. So everyone is sort of trying to play catch up. And it's only the cases where it's a big money uh, property, a major label property is when I would get pulled. For all the underground import stuff, not, never a problem. So that's a long way of answering your question about sampling. I think it's only when it's high stakes does it really matter. Right. And that's why, you know, I run a basically a music interview show here. And I'm always educating my guests that the, you know, it's embarrassing that I can't really play music because I think the RIAA will do takedowns even on music that my own guests own themselves. So we've just stayed clear of it. Well, there's a reason why 90% of the, the podcasts have music that sounds like terrible canned jingles, you know, no one, no one's sort of budgeted for it or can't do the, the required licensing, which makes perfect sense. I'm proud to say our theme is an original and it's good. <laughs> it's good. There you go. It ain't a jingle and it isn't happy necessarily. Uh, <laughs> what would your year... Um, I know you just became a new dad and everything, but what would your year without COVID look like? Would you have been doing a lot of live touring? Uh, maybe, a, yeah, maybe a little DJing. I think, you know, the challenge for me coming out of the KCRW job was to have ownership and um, set the terms for my intellectual property. Um, an extension of that is having kids and starting a family. That is real estate. That's, that's your vested interest, right? But on the, on the work and business and career side of things, similar. Um, I started a record label and got reacquainted with that whole process. The label is called Secret Technology, and it's through a distributor called InGrooves. And the big learning curve there was understanding best practices in, in the digital space um, with DSPs um, and how do you figure that out and what's the ecosystem for that um, and so I put out one single um, and a series of remixes and that to me was just a great test case and exercise in figuring everything out and sort of setting things up for me to do more involved signings and, and more personal projects so that's all in place um, I think the big the big thing from this year was, was just really appreciating the value of one's creativity. So whether it's 
the story I was describing earlier of, of kind of finally forcing myself to learn a music production program and write something, um, it, it, it helped me appreciate that uh, there is no creativity that should go to waste. Every little shred, every little thing that you do, if you believe in it and if you've created it, you know, bestow magic and value on that, you know? And um, I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out, but um, it's something I would, I would impart to everyone is like, you know, it's, it's funny because, you, you know, in the art world, when you think about valuations of, of artwork and how they come up with those numbers, or even if you go to maybe a modern art museum and you're looking at something and you're like, this looks like some pencil scratch on a canvas. And I could probably do that. You could probably do that, but you don't. And you don't believe in yourself doing that. And you don't live it. And you don't bestow the magic upon it so that it is real and that you can create a valuation of it. So don't even say anything. You can criticize and you go, that looks like a piece of shit. I could do that. Well, yeah, but you don't. And, you know, I think the lesson there is that in terms of expression and creativity, if you really believe in yourself and what you're doing, I think anything is possible and don't let any of it go to waste. There are so many ideas that threads of things that I've been holding on to for years and years and years. I can look at notebooks from, you know, when I was a teenager where there's ideas that I'm still kind of trying to make sense out of. And so um, I think it just speaks to the, the value of creativity. And if you can just appreciate that and respect that. Yeah, that's a right on message right now with what's going on right now. And people should um, try their own creativity. I mean, this is what this is about. You know, when I started this, I got a lot of grief, you know, ah, 1.7 million podcasts. What yeah. are you starting a podcast for? It's like, because the people I want to talk to, a lot of people don't know who they are. And they've been amazing creative people and people should know about them. And I want to have these conversations before it's too late in life, you know? So. Exactly. And you're just going to do it. You have an idea, you have a vision, and you're just going to, you're just going to do it. What we do. So on your label, is the first single your own thing or is it an artist no, that you uh, have? It's a friend of mine um, named Dennis White. Uh, his, his artist persona is Detroit, which is sort of a fusion of LA and Detroit. He's from Detroit. And... Um, it's funny because he sent me an unfinished demo to KCRW, which was an electronic cover of the Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush song, Don't Give Up from So, the album So. Um, and, you know, it was maybe two minutes and, and I actually threw it on the air and then played it and it sounded great. He didn't expect that. He was just sending me this idea. So fast forward, maybe two and a half, three years later, you know, the pandemic hit and I'm sitting around trying to figure out what to do with, uh, with a label or, or just building avenues for creativity. And I call him up and I'm like, that, that demo, that, did you ever finish that? Because that was a great idea. You know, can I do that? I'll just pick it up. Let's, let's finish it. You know, I can A&R this through. Let's finish it and let's, let's put it out. And it can be my first record on Secret Technology. So that, that's what it was. And, um, and it's been great. Um, I, I will say that I would, I would have, for the experience, you know, it's been kind of a money pit and I haven't figured out how to actually make money out of this yet, but um, I would pay for that experience either in a, um, 
an art class or buying a, a work of art. You know, I would spend $7,500 or however much money I've put into the promotion and the, you know, the artwork and everything. Um, I would pay that much to have something physical, an object. So I feel very good about what we've done and, and what we've created. And you know, we even did a music video. I just wanted to do it. You know, it was funny because Dennis is like, are you sure you want to do a music video? Because let me show you, go on YouTube. He's like, here's my last single. And I just did a lyric video where there's a single shot and there's more people enjoying that, which went, no effort went into that. Are you sure you want to do and I was like, yeah, I just want to do it. I have an idea. I want to do it. Let's, let's put a team together and make it happen. So, you know, part of it is, it's funny because it's counterintuitive to think that this year has been, you know, expressive instead of recessive. It, it, it hasn't been for me. It's been about growth. It's about expression in new ways. And that's been my answer to the challenge. And that's not to dismiss the hardships and the, the tragedies of, of the coronavirus. I know that a lot of people have suffered, but I will just say in my case that I've, um, I've really experienced growth, both personally in life and family, stronger bonds with family and having twin boys recently, but also in terms of um, creative spirit and, and expression. Beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, do you have other people you're looking to sign? Or are you kind of taking it one by one here and let's see where you get with this current? Yeah, just one by one. Um, Le Detroit, we'll how do you pronounce them? Le Detroit? Le Detroit? Le Detroit. Yeah, Le Detroit. <laughs> Le Detroit. Yeah, I, I'll probably, you know, he's got his own, you know, career path and uh, he works on a few different labels. This was just a good opportunity and, and to work with a friend and someone I admire, so. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, ears are open. I'm looking for other things and I just want to feel so moved, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So is the show, when you're talking about doing the IG show on Instagram, on TV, IGTV, is that Metropolis yeah. basically? I mean, is that what it is? Is it, it a set, it's a set time and day? And It was. It yeah. was. Um, the key there was just being consistent. Um, I drilled home to the audience that, Saturday nights at eight o'clock, you could join me. And, you know, and then I try and pre-promote through socials. And um, initially it would bring in an audience of like three to 500 people. Uh, once things kind of settled into a weird new normal, it would dip down to like 150, 200. But I don't take that for granted. I, it doesn't have to be thousands of people. I, the fact that there are 200 really engaged people um, is, is meaningful to me. So it, it was cool. Um, when we got the all clear to go back to the KCRW studios, I, I wrapped up the, um, the live stream. So I, I haven't done it for the last two weeks. Um, I'm thinking about trying to find a way to bring that, uh, aspect to the in-studio radio show just because it was so exciting and it unlocked all of these other cool things I didn't even anticipate. So I just want it to be great. So I also kind of feel like I, I hit the limit with Instagram live. Um, you know, I mentioned getting, getting bounced off of the live stream periodically. A lot of people have told me about Twitch as an alternative. I think Twitch may have some agreements with 
the industry to be able to play music uh, unregulated. Um, so I may, I may sort of reset things and come back on Twitch as a live uh, compliment to, to the radio show in studio. Well, that's great. Now that I'm back on social media, <laughs> I'll happen to know what you're up to now. If I had known that was going on, I would have been there every Saturday night. So I had it no idea. Fun. It was fun. My cat, Bacchus, would always get into the mix. People, people loved, loved Bacchus. That's awesome. So before we leave, I want to ask you kind of one last question, which, you know, could take hours because you're such a curator of good music, but that is, what are you currently listening to that's great? Well, let's see. I like the new Westerman album. He's an artist from the UK and he really is picking up on some of that great eighties, uh, prog rock that we just don't seem to have anymore. Um, you know, Bands like The Police or uh, Genesis, and I mentioned Peter Gabriel as an as an interesting inspiration for the for the record label. Um, all that great '80s synth pop stuff, you know, Tears for Fears, and all that. You know, I just um, I love that I'm hearing that from a young artist out of England. So again, his name is Westerman. Um, similar artist out of England called Bullion, as in Gold Bullion. Uh, he's doing cool things. Um, Angel Olsen is on my top five albums of the year list for sure. Um, she did a record produced by uh, John Congleton, which is unbelievable, called All Mirrors. Um, what else? Uh, you should have prepped me for this. I'd have a whole list for you. But, um, <laughs> Uh, some some classic bands from the '90s electronic scene are, are resurgent, like um, Groove Armada, who are big, yep. big in that sort of that first that '90s wave. They're back. Back with new stuff, are you saying, or is it just the uh, people are rediscovering them and they're more yeah profiled? Yeah. Hey, I will say here's a good way to answer that is I have a Spotify playlist, and that is where I I present the more song based eclectic selections and so you know that's sort of a, a an extension of the morning becomes eclectic jason bentley is this spotify playlist so the metropolis side of me is just electronic mix but uh, on spotify I have a, a playlist called jason bentley's music room feel free to look it up um it has a really good engagement from the audience i've been really impressed because i started the label i i was able to look at the the back end of spotify as a label um, and so you can look at how many people are, are listening to your playlists and things like that. And I was so impressed with the engagement. Um, so yeah, um, check that out for kind of the more of the song based things I'm into right now. Right. Well, dude, I appreciate you making time. I love seeing your face. I'm so yeah, happy thanks. you're, you're a father. It's amazing to me. And, thanks, uh, Nick. No, it's a pleasure to hear from you. So thank I you. I must know everything that you're doing. So please tell me how to keep up with you. I guess Instagram's the way. Yes. Instagram yeah. is my my native, yeah, my native social habitat there these days. But um feel free to reach out and drop me a note every once in a while. It's good to hear from you. I will definitely do that. Thank you so much. Um, you've been a wonderful friend and I enjoyed our time when we were colleagues. Um, <laughs> and I'm happy to see you thriving and kind of really trying to get your head around creativity and being more creative. It's great. Thanks, Nick. All right, brother. Stay healthy. All right. You too. Well, that's our show this week. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe even learned a little something. 
to follow what's going on with this podcast, you can go to theradicalpod.com. Um, theradicalpod.com. You will find show notes and past episodes and uh, even a little swag there if you want a t-shirt or a hat. Also, I would be honored if you'd subscribe at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Till next week. Bye.